Open up your Bible, if you have one, or on your app, on your phone, or whatever, and Third John, way back in the back of your Bible, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week about God's desire for you. So God has a desire, and we need to know what God's desire. I think it's really important because if we really don't know what God's desire is and his aim and the way he looks at you and what he really wants for you and what God desires for you, if we don't pick this up right, uh, it, we could live confused We could live conflicted, and you could really want to be going for it for God, but you could have conflict, internal conflict, and God didn't want that for us. You know, some people think, and I believe this, I remember when I first got saved, super zealous for the Lord, had a really good job and was doing really well, and I had a friend who he, his parents owned an injection molding business, and um, they were the heirs, and his parents were quite, he and his twin brother were the heirs, and I remember uh, witnessing to him, and I had heard this story of the rich man in the Bible where Jesus said, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Now, I've got a good job, but I'm witnessing to this guy, don't hardly have any knowledge, and I basically tell him, you'll have to give up all that and follow the Lord. Now, i got a good job, but I'm telling him because I just read the story I didn't know, but I didn't realize I was saying something wrong, and he even told me a couple of reasons why he didn't want to do that and then didn't want to follow the Lord, but believed in the Lord. And uh, he gave some sinful things that he still wanted to do with his life. And, um, but I didn't realize there were a lot of people who felt like if you were blessed in any way financially, that there was some kind of sin in that. And there are people in the church that believe that. And I didn't know that. So could you imagine if you're trying to get ahead, where is the line? And if you're trying to get ahead and you're getting blessed in some way, that can create internal turmoil. Why? Because I might be doing something against God. Or, you know, in many areas, healing, provision, victory, people can have conflict in that area. Are you ready? So we're going to look at this and see God's idea. And we've said this before, that if God told Jesus to teach the people how to pray. And one of the things he said when he taught them to pray is your will be done on earth like it's being done in heaven. So is heaven really good? Oh yeah. Now here's a question. Is heaven just externally good? Meaning, you know, streets of gold, you get a mansion, we all know that. There's a all this beauty and everything, and it's just external. Well, heaven has the external, but heaven also has the internal, where there's uh, no hurting inside, you're fulfilled inside, you're satisfied inside, you've got peace, you're in harmony, there's no ugh. Are you with me? It's not just external. So if if the Lord said, pray that my will be done like it's happening in heaven and earth, then we can understand right now, by that prayer, 
it doesn't automatically happen. So there has to be some kind of conflict if he said pray that it would happen because if it just would automatically happen if it was God's will, he'd say, this is my will, don't sweat it. It'll just happen. But it's that we live in a hostile environment because of the fall of man and the enemy being here. But it's obvious that we can walk in it or he wouldn't have told you to pray about it. Nor would he have brought it up. He would have just said, you know, you're just suffer along, hold on till the end when you get to heaven and everything will be good and everything you ever dreamed about will come to pass when you're here. Well, if he talked like that, that would be the approach. But do you know, often people have that approach. And so let's look and see what his desire is. And it's his desire for you. Now, will everybody walk in his desire? No, because some people don't want to. Sometimes people have heard things that, um, you know, like God is powerful, but he doesn't do powerful things today. They love God, but they'll never see certain actions of his power because it's been ingrained to them you know, through traditions or different people, that, that having God's power work in your life is not for today. It's not going to happen. It will happen in heaven. And even though they love God, they'll end up forfeiting that part of the benefit, and they could still go to heaven. But they will miss out on His will being done on earth as in heaven. Because there can be a disconnect, and we're going to talk about that. And one of the primary ways to get past the disconnect is really uh, fundamental to uh, walking with God. Hosea 4.6 says this, and we won't turn there. It says, my people are destroyed, or they suck, suffer lack, or they go without, because of a lack of knowledge. How many of you realize that if we have a lack of knowledge, it kind of makes for an empty space? Like remember when Jesus cast the devil out of one person? He said that, that the devil will leave. And he'll go walk around in dry places trying to find a new place to inhabit. And if he doesn't find anything, he's going to come back. And then what he's going to do is he's going to try to get back into where he was before. And he said the only way he'll get entrance is if it's swept and empty. In other words, there's space for him. And what happens when people don't have proper knowledge, then they're kind of swept and empty. And when a lie comes, if they're not careful and it looks persuasive, that lie can just take that space. And then all of a sudden they're believing something that's not in line with God's will, and they may even speak against it. Like, you know, when you get old, you never know when you're going to die. You just die. You know, you never know when your time is. Anybody ever heard that? It, it could just happen and you never know. 
Because, you know, there's just the time. And then you'll hear this. God may just take you. I, I went to a funeral one time. A bunch of uh, people that partied and everything. And uh, there was a guy with a girl on the back, or I think it was a girl on the back of this motorcycle, and they were running from the police. And uh, the girl fell off and got ran over and killed. And uh, the preacher said, God just wanted another angel in heaven. I thought, oh, that's great to tell these people. That's sarcasm. Like God just knocked that girl off the motorcycle so she could get run over. Because he wanted her. Sounds like a good God, the kind of God you want to serve who may knock you off the back of a motorcycle. So you can get run over, so all your friends are suffering and thinking you better be careful because God might knock you off the back of a motorcycle. How many times did Jesus talk like that? Well, God made this one sick because he was never, he never said that. And so all these people leave with these opinions and if they're swept and empty of knowledge, they'll think, God did that. You know why? Because that preacher is an authority figure of spiritual matters. And if somebody's swept and empty and somebody with authority speaks and I'm empty, then wow, then this, is, this guy must know what he's talking about, I'll accept that. And if I accept that, I'm going to be thinking, man, God's going to be knock, could knock me off of a motorcycle or cause me to crash or something crazy. You know, sometimes people just accept things because they come from an authority figure. I'm not a big news junkie, but I did look at the headlines the other day, and, you know, our head of our medical thing was before Congress, I believe it was, and they brought up the social distancing. How many know churches sat people every other row, every other seat, go to the store? How many people spent, companies spent billions of dollars? There's still remnants of dots on the ground. He just said yesterday or the day before, there's no, there was no science in that. He said, it just happened. But if we're swept and empty, think of it, we, we just all went that way, and I'm not trying to knock him. I'm just saying if this works on that level, it probably works on all kinds of other levels. And if we're open to things, then anybody who says something, what is the standard for the truth? Well, the Bible is. And so when people are swept and empty and then they gather something, how many people were angry at people? If you were too close or you didn't have a mask on or all this and they're, sorry, not, not trying to knock anything. I'm just saying without some kind of real standard of truth. And he even said, well, it wasn't science. It just kind of came into being. And how many battles were between good people and good friends, co-workers, you know, because one person believes this, one person believes that, you know, oh, it came out of a lab, it didn't, now he's saying, yeah, it did. 
now I'm not, tr I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm just saying maybe we ought to slow down and figure out where we're getting our knowledge. Who, who's giving us what, and then what becomes the standard? You know, because we're taught germs are super powerful. When I grew up, germs weren't as powerful. You play in the... T I've said this before at school, you play in the sandbox, and there would be cats that would leave treasures for you, and then the bell would ring, and you'd go to the cafeteria and eat. Nobody washed their food, and you're handing friends stuff, and they're handing this, and they've been in the sandbox or the kitty litter box. And people were just fine. And now, you know, we get a microscope and, you know, you touch the door and the germs run up your arm and they jump on your nose and, and people are all afraid of it. Well, what's happening is where are we gaining knowledge? And I know that some people may not like this, but it could be because we were swept and empty and somebody put something in when we didn't have the right thing in there. And this isn't to cause problems, probably is, but... Um, <laughs> But maybe it's sweeping, you know, stuff out. And this isn't to be bothered by somebody. And if you see somebody with, you know, who wants to social distance, then don't, don't say anything. You, don't ha you can be kind. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, where are we getting our knowledge? And what is the highest thing? And could a wrong knowledge forfeit things? What if I start esteeming certain things. You know, I had said this one time, somebody came to me about being depressed, and they said, well, I can't get free to, from depression unless I have medical help with pills. And I'm not opposed to the person taking pills whatsoever. But there is help beyond that too. Because God's bigger. Because could you imagine Jesus wanting to help people and saying, oh, I would help you, but you're going to have to take a pill. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm okay with somebody taking a pill. And some people probably should. But what I am saying is there is a truth that's superior to things and could help us grow to the point where maybe we could get past taking a pill. Sometimes people need to take a pill to help them to sustain so that they could get off the pill. What do I mean by that? Maybe they've been crammed with stuff that makes them really believe in that. So that's okay. We want to help people where they're at. And so, but if you just say, oh, well, you shouldn't do that, they could be swept and empty at some point in their life and now have a strong belief in this thing. And I'm not saying there isn't help there. I'm just saying, where is the baseline of truth and can people get free? And can people grow and walk free? What is God's desire? And when we see God's desire, we know there has to be a disconnect because you can just look in the world. And you can see people connecting at different levels, 
But if Jesus said, I pray that your will be done on the earth like it's being done in heaven, then he's basically saying there is a way to improve your life until it matches something that reflects heaven on the earth. You with me? And there, there's nothing wrong with that. The world wants this because you can go find self-help books and different people who help people to do better. But what is the basis of that knowledge? To me, if God said, you have to suffer, and it's not going to be good, then I'm just going to stick with that route because that's what God said. Now, God has said we will face tests and trials. We will be persecuted for our faith and things like that. But that doesn't change the fact that there are other things that he wants. Those are just facts of living in a hostile environment. If you go to a war zone, you can't all of a sudden go there and go, I'm being shot at. This is not fair. What did I do wrong? Uh, did I sin this morning? What did I do to deserve this? You know, people approach life as a Christian like that. But we're in a hostile environment. You're going to get some things go by your head. And it may just be that you're doing everything right. Let's just read the Bible. Let's see what God says. His desire, what he would like. And understand, we could read this. None of this happened in our life. And if we're saved, we'll still go to heaven and we'll experience, you know, a tremendous thing walking with God, you know, when, after we die. But why don't we shoot for the best? And remember, people can't hit the best without knowledge because faith comes by hearing, the Bible said. And my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So to get past some of these destructive things, the basis first starts with some simple knowledge. From him, from his book, not other people's books. Can you read other books? Absolutely. Are there good things? Yes. But always proof them against the truth. Always proof them against the truth then you can filter out things that just don't line up with what he says. Now look at this right here in 3 John 2. It says, Beloved, you know, that's a common term written and uh, that God and these people who were used to write the Bible called believers. So if you've received Christ, he calls you beloved. He said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. That means children of God. So not everybody is a child of God. That's another false statement. Just like some of those it's appointed to man wants to die. God has an appointed time. You know, I started to say that, but those are not true statements. The Bible said if you would honor your father and mother, it could increase the length of your days on the earth. So there isn't an appointed time. The Bible talks about certain things that if you pursue certain things, it will lengthen your days. If you live a certain way, it'll shorten your days. So it's not an appointed time. 
The Bible even said this. If you enter into the promised land or learn to live by faith and start appropriating promises, just like the children of Israel, it says then your days will be lengthened. So there is not an appointed time, but there is an appointment if you read that scripture in Hebrews. It's appointed to man once to die. After that, we'll stand before the Lord. If, if the Lord doesn't come back, nobody will avoid that appointment. But, if you'd like to live on, there's promises like in Psalm 91 and in other places where it talks about, you know, you can have 70 years, 80 years, and if reason by strength or even not satisfied, you can extend your days out. Amen. These you need to know because otherwise you might go, man, I'm 54. Everybody in my family was 54. All the men die when they're 54, 54, 54. And the enemy starts trying to fill your head with that. Maybe that's my appointed time. Then you start talking about it. And do you know your words affect your own heart? We've we studied that for a while. That how that it will affect your own heart and it will steer your life. And so at 54, everybody dies at 54. All the men die at 54. 54, they all die at 54. My great-grandfather, my uncle, and 54. And you go around talking like that and it starts putting something in your heart and it's not an appointed time, but swept and empty. Anticipation. Opening the door. Don't even know it. And don't know that these are laws that govern life in the earth? How many policemen or different people talk about, I'll, be, I'll die on the last day of my job, watch. And they say it year after year. And man, if they escape, and then people say, wow, they always knew it. No, it wasn't that they knew it. It's that something got into their head, then got into their heart. Because the Bible say, I will say of the Lord, He is my protection. Ten thousand, or a thousand may fall at one side, and ten thousand at my right hand, but not draw near unto me. But He said, you must say that of the Lord. Amen. That's, that's all part of what we're talking about. It's prosperity. And when people think, well, it's my appointed time to die... You are appointed to long life, first above all things. Everything is in flux after that. Go read the Bible and you will see that long life, he even said those are words, with long life will I satisfy you and show you my deliverance. And then he talked about, at, you know, getting up there in age. You, you can't live forever, but you can live long if you'd like. If you don't want to, you don't have to, though. You ever heard that term? Just talk themselves to death. There is a truth in that. Now, somebody else may talk you to death, but you have to be careful of that because people can throw things in and then people accept it. Boy, this is different, but helpful. And so, because here's the thing, if I start seeing a pattern in my family 
And then I start talking about it and all the relatives talk about it. And I start repeating it and have been doing it a long time. That is called what the Bible calls a law of faith. And if I keep talking about it, it'll get into me until I open myself up to something that's not of God. If he said the first commandment with promise is that it would be well with you and you would live long on the earth if you would honor your father and mother. First commandment to do something with a promise and that it was well and long life. Well, then you could already look how do people treat their parents? These fans are loud today. (laughs) Because these are laws. Death, Proverbs 18, death and life are in the working of the tongue. And those who learn to use it will eat its fruit. Elvis Presley died young. He talked about dying young for years. Was it God's appointment for him or did he just not know he walked in something? Some people open the door to stuff because they failed in life and then they start talking how they now deserve. Which is just totally a fallacy. You should have come last Sunday night. It's a fallacy. But if I think evil, I've done evil, therefore I must be open to evil, then I have submitted and not resisted. We're going to get to this verse after a couple more answers. Because, you know, God can try to rescue somebody so that they don't end up dying. You know, the Bible said, why shouldest thou die? That's King James. Before the time, before your time. So that means some people die before their time. And they don't realize it and they think, no, it was my time. And they say it was their time and they think it was their time. And he said, why shouldest thou die before the time or your time? So he said, that's a real thing. Should we just walk out and walk back in and start over or just keep going? But if people don't think right because they've been swept and empty and all this stuff has been put in there, because sometimes I think people don't realize just what really is in this precious book and how God has set these things there. And if we don't realize it, you know, people get frustrated while we're in a fight. Well, don't worry, all my other men in my family die at this time so you don't have to put up with me long. And they don't realize they're putting seeds in their heart. They're deceiving their own heart. I'm quoting, you know, Luke 8, 11, James 1, 26. And they're believing something inappropriate and you keep talking that way. And then we'll go to somebody's funeral and think, man, they were such a good person. I wish they were here. And the Lord would probably have said, why did you die before the time? If you've been talking like that, you should say, with long life, he will satisfy me. 
Deuteronomy talks about, as the length of my days, so shall my strength and health be. So that means as long as I can live, I don't have to fall apart. But these things don't just automatically happen. We need to know what he desires. Understand his desire and what comes to pass can look so different. We all know the Bible, and Timothy says, or we're about to all know it, he talked about, I himself, I desire that none would perish, be lost, but all would come to repentance, and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. How many of you know there's a lot of people, though God didn't want anybody to perish, are perishing, will reject him? How many realize there are people who are saved who are not really coming to a knowledge of the truth, so they're saved. They, yes, they will go to heaven, but they're not coming to the knowledge of the truth. Therefore, they'll be taken advantage of throughout this life. And they won't attain to his best. Therefore, when they get to heaven, they'll live for eternity with God. They won't go to hell. But how many of you know God didn't want anybody to go there? He didn't make hell for people. He made it for angels, the Bible said. It was never in his intention, but there will be people who will go there because they don't want him. They would rather do their own thing. Then there are other people who come to know him, but then don't avail themselves to know the truth, and then therefore uh, they're destroyed in different areas and suffer lack, and they'll even question God. I serve you, God. What's your problem? And if we could get a glimpse, he'd say, no, don't blame me. I'm your answer. I, I told you I'd serve you. Uh, what's your problem? Sometimes we just have to settle down and go, wait a minute. Maybe he's not my problem. Amen. Because people could get worked up with God. I turn my back on you. And what, they are, what they're not doing is not turning their back on God. They're turning the way the devil wants them to turn. He's the one who's been poking them that way. Blaming God, telling them, and, and Jesus said, I've come that you might have an abundant life, and the devil has come to steal and kill and destroy. And basically, he can't whip you, so he's got to get you to turn his way. Or he would have just whipped Adam and Eve without having to get them to turn his way. I'm just mad at God. You might be mad at him wrongly. Have you ever thought about getting mad at the devil? Why is it that people don't get mad at the devil? But they're frustrated with God. You know, this, that, and the other. And we made all these decisions where we were just barreling through, disobeying him. And then we're mad at him, and we really were obeying lies. And he's trying to ransom us. You know, I have a friend or a guy I know, I've known who was on his third escape from prison, and he was running to Mexico, and the Lord spoke to him in an audible voice. He said, if you go and cross the border, he was going from Alabama, 
And he said, if you cross the border, there's a trap set. The devil will kill you. And he said he peed his pants right there in his truck. And the Lord spoke to him in an audible voice, said, turn yourself in. And I can get you out of this if you'll trust me. So he was on his third escape from prison. And he said he turned himself in and the Lord told him, waive all your rights for extradition and plead guilty to everything. So he did it. And they gave him life without the possibility of parole, which is like in California would be like three strikes there. It's like Habitual Offenders Act. And he said, you know, after a couple of years he was in prison, he said, God, I turned myself in. You said you were going to help me out. And when I get this letter, it had been two years or a year, oh, year and three quarters, whatever, before he got his review letter. And he said, you said, if I turn myself in, you'd get me out of this. He's shaking his fist. And the Lord then spoke to him again. It had been a while, but the Lord spoke to him again. He said, I didn't get you into this. You got yourself into this. If you'll obey me, I'll get you out of it if you'll trust me. And just over three years, he was let out of prison with a life sentence without the possibility of parole. But he had to fight the good fight of faith. He found scriptures that covered, and he kept declaring. And he'd tell people the answer. Why? What was happening? He said it was getting in his heart. But at first, he start, at one point, he started shaking his fist at God. But it wasn't God who put him there. God is good. And God is for his people. The enemy's bad. When we see trouble in people, we don't need to go, that's God. Or I'm mad at you, God. We need to go, that, that's an enemy. Ready? We've got to read this. It's inevitable. 3 John 2 says, Beloved, thank God he didn't say you nuisances. No, he said, Beloved, and he knew. He said, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. How many of you realize that's God's will? Turn here to, to uh, 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. Does God want you to prosper? We looked at that in detail last week. And if surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, that word goodness is really symbolic of heaven. It's prosperity and it's external prosperity and it's internal peace and fulfillment and everything. That's what God wants. Look at this in 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. And, and it's amazing to me how sometimes we think if you serve God, He doesn't want you to have any, anything and doesn't want you to be blessed. How many of you know that there are people that have been swept and emptied and they've only had just certain things put in? And we know what those certain things are. Ready? Well, Jesus turned water into wine. How many know that that one comes out? Well, Jesus turned water into wine. Or, money's the root of all kind of evil. Anybody ever heard that scripture? But that's not what that scripture said. It, it's the love or coveting after money. 
God's not opposed to people being rich. Just read further in the sixth chapter of Timothy there. And he even said to the believers, you know, who were rich. He said, just be rich in good works. Don't be covetous. The issue was not how much you got. The problem was, would you remember God and would you be covetous? And when people get those thoughts in their mind, they can be detrimental and they can make people not want to rise up and think that they can hit the heights because my might be going against God's will. Unconsciously, they could be thinking that. Or subconsciously. Notice this 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter and the ninth verse. For you know the grace or the ability of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich. How many believe God, Jesus, and heaven was rich? I mean beyond measure rich. Yet for your sakes he became poor. That through his poverty, you might be poor. No, that's not what it said. Through his poverty, you might become rich or have a full supply. Literally be fully supplied. But even though in this whole context he is talking about finances, it's readily seen through these types of verses that it's a physical it's an emotional, it's an internal, it's a full being of prosperity. Now you understand you're getting older, no matter how young you are, your body is decaying. The Bible calls that the last enemy is physical death. So that's the only thing that as we get older, we get some wrinkles, People are looking around at others. No, just look at yourself. You know, somebody's like, oh, I know somebody's got wrinkles. We all get them. It's because that one part. But the inward man is to be renewed, the Bible said, day by day. And it never perishes and gets old. And he wants that to be at peace, rest, fulfilled, guarded with comfort and peace. The heart, the mind prosperity in body even though you get older he has health and provision on the earth it's amazing to me that the blessing of Abraham which was what people call the Jews blessing I grew up hearing this well if you're a Jew you'll be blessed anybody ever heard talk like that any of those Jews and we just talk like they're blessed but do you know, according to Galatians 3 and other verses, he said that blessing is yours now in Christ? But see, if I put it off on somebody else and don't talk like it belongs to me, then I've been swept and emptied and robbed because I've allowed something else to get in there and fill me that would go, those other people... But you know, if it's those other people, unless I'm one of those other people, then it's not me. And if you're saved, it's you. And you'll find that spirit, soul, and body, and financially, just like 3 John, is Abraham's blessing. Internal. Are you with me? 
Let's look at two verses and we'll close. Everybody okay? Deuteronomy, and we'll look at the 28th verse. Realize this knowledge of these things that they belong to you is the fundamental thing. God wants you to rise up in every area. But in rising up, there are some activities we should do. Are you ready? I mean, there, one is we need to know the Lord first and foremost, get saved. The other is uh, Deuteronomy here, 28. This is talking about that blessing that belongs on all of us. And then he talks about the curse for verse after verse. And according to the blessing that we have now, the curse cannot come on us. And doesn't belong into our life. So everything that's a curse, you can just flip it and go, that doesn't belong. But here, early on in this chapter, the 28th chapter, it said in the 8th verse, it says, The Lord will command the blessing on you. And this is in every area of your life. On you, in your storehouses, and in all to which you set your hand. That is a principle to getting this stuff working in your life. It's for you, but you have to set your hand to it. You, you have to set your hand to it. How would you set your hand to these blessings? Well, the first fundamental thing is you have to know they belong to you. So you have to set your hand to it. You have to find out what he said belongs to you. If people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, then, then you got to go get knowledge, proper knowledge. That means you have to set your hand to that. You could say it like this. You need to set your hand to your relationship with God. Do something. Learn. Find out the way he thinks in his word. And then... Begin to act. Give him something by the work of your hands that's in line to bless. Because his blessing is commanded upon you. And so if I don't plant seeds in the ground then, and then there's no corn or whatever seeds they are for him to bless. Are you with me? And one last thing that we need to do and there are probably other things, but fundamentally, those are some of the elements right there. This very last thing, and we'll close with this verse. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. And this is how this new covenant is effective. I talked to somebody last week, and they told me when we were teaching these truths, and how they had been moving along real good, and then all of a sudden it seemed like they got stuck. And they said they started telling people, I've lost momentum, I've lost in these things. And then they said, they realized they were talking against, and they changed that. This right here, Hebrews, the fourth chapter, is a key to setting our hand to it. In other words, gaining the knowledge, 
working, exerting ourselves, some setting our hand to things, is getting more experienced in the field we're in. Are you with me? Learning more. That's setting my hand to it. He can get me information that way. He can help me along. I realize this, and this is important. I saw this recently, and for some reason something went eh, in me. And I had seen this before and thought this way, that this year we need to run faster with God. And I thought to myself, eventually you can only run so fast. And you can only run so long, and you might get tired. And I thought there has to be, they have to, if we're only looking at our part, then we're not believing past our ability. We'll only extend so far. Our influence will only go to our own strength. But if I, and I remembered this verse, he said, I pray that the word would be unchained and run. Oh, wait a minute, then I can run, but the word can run when I'm not running. It can run where I'm not running. It can do what I can't do when I do what I can do. And it can extend beyond me. Because it said it can't be chained. And it can run with free course. So what I need to do is get beyond myself. Do my part but believe that there's something beyond my part that can happen, and God is the factor in that that works with me. Are you with me? Because eventually you can only do what you can do. You can only run as many miles as you can run. And it doesn't matter how fast you are, there's only a certain amount you can run. Isn't that true? I mean, if we could all run 26 miles a day or 50 miles a day or 100 miles a day, somebody could do 200 a day. That's your limit. But with God, there's beyond that. So I have to get beyond myself. I do my part, but then I have to believe he can go further than what I can do and do more than me. And extend my influence and in everything. This is how it works. Hebrews 4.14 Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, our words, saying what he says. Why? Because he's the high priest of our words. What are we to confess? His absolute rulership? His lordship? There is much talk about positive thinking. It would be better to think a negative thought than say a negative thought. It's better to say a positive thing than just think a positive thing. Say why? Because it's the law that governs life. People don't realize that. If it was just absolute thinking, Jesus would have said, you'll give an account for all your thoughts, but you won't because some thoughts come from the enemy. But all your words come from you. 
And he said, you can steer your life. And he said, hold fast to your confession of saying what God has said about you. That's what it means, homologeo in the Greek. Say the same thing. Well, what has he said? You're above only and not beneath. His blessing is upon your life. He's provided health. He's provided strength. He will guide you. So what should I say? He's guiding me. When my emotions are being dealt with, what do I do? He has given me his peace to guard my heart and mind. Your peace is working in me now. But how often do we bury ourselves by saying, I don't know whenever I'm going to get out of this. Man, I'm just in turmoil. I'm drowning. Thank God you won't sink with God in you. But you will with him in you if you say you're going to. But that's why we hold fast. And how many of you realize when it says hold fast, that means hold on because sometimes something's going to try to get you to let go. We should all start learning, applying action, but getting beyond ourselves by saying these things about us. I'm a powerful witness. Somebody said, you are? That's so awesome. I wish I could be. No, no, that's us. But how many people have thought they're not powerful when God said you are once you're saved? No, I'm not. No, hold fast and you'll find you'll rise.